0: This is Channel 253.
1: In this episode of Crossing Division.
0: So, people would rather stay in tents where they could be together in communities that they have created, where they can come and go as they wish. Now, enhanced shelters are different because these are non congregate shelters. You can bring your partner pets and possessions, and it's not as restrictive with the time and all of those other
1: things, right? Mm-hmm. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you.
2: Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. On this episode of Crossing Division, continue our conversations with the three nominees for our newly opened 27th legislative district Senate seat. Um, Today, I am absolutely delighted to be talking with Dr. Lamont Green, who is our third candidate for this position. Welcome, Dr. Green. Thank
0: you, Evelyn, glad to be here.
2: And of course, before we started recording, I said, do you want to be called Dr. Green or Lamont? And promptly forgot myself. So I will call you Lamont from this point forward. But uh start by telling me what's your current job and what school is in your neighborhood?
0: Yes, so so my current job, I have kind of many hats, um, but my my primary job is I'm the director of equity, diversity, and inclusion for a policy nonprofit based out of Boston called Technical Assistance Collaborative. Um, and we do A lot of work for HUD and the Veterans Administration are two of our largest contracts, but we work with communities all across the nation, California, Massachusetts, Texas, uh, you name it. And a lot of the work that I do is around helping communities redesign their systems to be more effective in preventing and ending homelessness. And you know, this is one of the major issues Uh, that we have. And so the work that I do is really steeped in developing policy, programming, um, and interventions to better address uh, street homelessness. And we know that when we look at our our unhoused neighbors, we see multiple system failures, criminal Mm -hmm. legal system, behavioral health, education, you name it. Um, And so my work often intersects with those other systems. So, how could we mm-hmm. use Medicaid in more innovative ways? Um, mm-hmm. How can we partner with workforce developments in more innovative ways? And how can we build community will? You know, to to really yeah. address this this issue.
2: That's actually such an interesting area. Give me an example of something that your group has done that you that you sort of feel like, oh, that that makes me feel really good. That makes me feel like we're really making a difference.
0: Yeah, there, there's a there's a lot of wonderful things that have happened, especially in the veterans um, area around um, ending homelessness for veterans that has happened in several uh, communities across the nation. One of the things, though, that I'm really proud of is in the youth and young adult space in the unaccompanied youth and young adult homelessness space and developing a program called Bridge Housing. And so in this program, youth are placed into crisis housing. So instead of going to an emergency shelter, they're placed automatically into crisis housing. And then that crisis housing is a launch pad into permanent housing. But they're given a lot of wraparound supports. So Mm -hmm. on that multidisciplinary team, there's a therapist, right? Someone to help with the emotional support needs. There's an employment navigator. There's a housing navigator. And something else that we also have on that team is an attorney. Because a lot of youth and young adults have a lot of complexities. They might have outstanding warrants. Um, They might have things that are involved in the child welfare system. Um, We also have peer navigators. And so what we found and what has made this program so successful, one, is that it was co-designed and developed by unaccompanied youth and young adults experiencing homelessness. And so when you develop something with the end user in mind, you're designing something that they're going to utilize. They they help to hire the staff onto the program. And so we just saw tremendous outcomes in getting young people into uh, housing, getting them engaged with emotional supports. Before this program, we had probably 15% engagement in behavioral health supports, and that went up to over 90% engagement, right? And so- Um, There's been a lot of wonderful things that have happened across our nation and we know what works, right? It's really bringing it to scale. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes there's just not enough revenue and we can't deny the affordable housing crisis, right? Um, Right. It's a huge affordable housing crisis. Just in the past 30 days in Pierce County, we had 500 new episodes of homelessness. These are 500 in the past 30 days. And so we must brace ourselves as a community, right? Because with COVID and with the eviction moratorium that has ended, you know, we're going to have like the 2007, 2008 crisis. There was another huge influx of unhoused neighbors. And with COVID, we're predicting there's going to be another influx. And so communities need to be prepared. We need to be innovative. We need to look at what vacant buildings do we have that we can quickly rehab into non-congregate mm-hmm. shelters. You know, we talk about tiny home villages and a lot of other things, but there are things that we can do, right? And especially with the ARPA funds coming in, the American Rescue Plan Act, uh, we also have to be strategic in how we use these funds. And so, mm-hmm. Evelyn, this is why I'm excited to be <laughs> Senator, right? Because I could go right. in these little weeds, right? Yeah. Um, and we don't have very many social workers in the legislature. We have lots of attorneys, but not many social workers. And so Mm -hmm. I've been at the Mm -hmm. ground level, you know, understanding how, when policies are implemented, what's happening on the ground level and bringing that really nuanced and comprehensive lens to it, you know. Mm -hmm. And then your other question was around what school is closest to me? The closest uh, UPS, University of Pittsburgh Sound. All right. But I went to UW Tacoma. That's my... Okay.
2: All right. Very good. Well, where did you live before before you lived in Tacoma? You know, I've lived in
0: Tacoma approximately 25 years, and I've always lived in the 27th Legislative District. Um, I bought a home in 2013 here on North 21st between Alder and Lawrence. Before that, I was renting a carriage house in North Yakima. And you know North Yakima, that's like one of yeah, the most very nice. streets. Of Tacoma. Yeah, very nice. But I, I couldn't afford one of those homes, but I was renting a carriage house. But um, and then prior to that, I lived in the Miller apartments on um mm. on Tacoma Avenue South. So I've always been right in this yep. walking distance area. I just 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 love it, you know.
2: Yeah, me. Well, we've been about the same. We we're in the in the, the Westgate area and we bought our house here about uh, 22 years ago. So yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Well, um, tell me something from your past, or it could be current, something that you, it doesn't have to be giant, it could be small, but you realize now looking back that it was a really formative experience or event in your life. What would you Um, say? You have some
0: good questions, Evelyn.
2: I was working (laughs) at it.
0: You're like a surgeon, you go deep. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I shared a little bit with the PCO. So I'm originally from Charleston, South Carolina. You know the Gullah Geechee people and um, was really blessed to be raised in the Gullah culture and um, you know the Gullah people we live mostly off of the land you know seafood and and farming and all of those things so this deep connection with the land um, and with all the growth and developments you know and environmental issues a lot of our culture and way of being has been impacted. And so mm-hmm. that's where my passion comes for environmental issues. Um, and then after, you know, the South could be a very difficult place for a gay Black boy, you know?
2: I imagine it, yeah. would, I imagine it would be incredibly difficult. Yes.
0: Yeah, it was very, very, very difficult. And so, you know, I went into the military. Um, my father was also a veteran, Vietnam veteran, and he died. Uh, when I was in the ninth grade and I'm the first to go to college and everything. And I didn't want to burden my mom and didn't understand all of that stuff. So I I went into the military and I was, uh, I always loved foreign languages. Um, I was a a summer exchange student in Germany and um, just had a passion for foreign languages. And so I got recruited into the Navy to be a Russian and Chinese crypto linguist. And um, spent about five years in the military. And then after I got out of the military, because I was in the don't ask, don't tell military, Mm -hmm. and I had a top secret clearance. So that was, (laughs) I couldn't really be free and be myself either then, Mm -hmm. you know? And so after I got out of the military, I had all this money saved up. I didn't want to go back to South Carolina. And I wanted to explore, you know? And um, I had a lot of internal demons that I hadn't processed from a society that told me that, being black was this, and being gay was this, and you know, that that I was a perverse faggot, you know, and not even God loved me, and 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 I was raised with a strong love of God, and I and I still do, you know, I'm a very I did a lot of my healing, but I, I self-identify as a Christian, a progressive Christian. So could you imagine, for a little boy to think that not even God loves me, and I tried to pray the gay away, pray, fasted. So I hated myself, but I didn't really have the language and understanding. So I got out of the military, I went to a party, I was offered something to smoke. I didn't know it was crack cocaine. I haven't mm-hmm. did any drugs and nothing. And I became addicted and mm-hmm. it was, within six months I was living in my car and then I lost my car and I was homeless on the streets of San Francisco and it was devastating. Mm-hmm. and um, there was a, a failed suicide attempt that landed me in a hospital. And I had major psychosis because I was using you know, crack cocaine and meth and not eating, and I was very violent. And I ended up institutionalized for six months, chemically restrained with Thorazine. And um, they had this special program at American Lake for Persian Gulf War veterans Um, with co-occurring disorder, substance use and mental health. And that's how I ended up in in the Pacific Northwest. And I remember- That is quite a
2: path. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing.
0: Yeah. And I remember arriving here in the Pacific Northwest. You know, the American Lake VA campus is so beautiful. It's beautiful. Beautiful. And just the American flags and the tall green trees. They got a golf course and a lake. And it was an amazing program. We went fishing, we did art therapy, we went golfing. Um, There were wonderful social workers and it was very innovative for that time. They did mindfulness meditation and breath work and talk therapy. And um, I I developed some really close friendships and it was amazing, you know, and it helped me. And I went through vocational rehabilitation um, and that was some years ago. But, you know, those programs don't exist, you know. there's safety. There's uh, funding cuts, you know, okay. social cuts to our social safety nets, and and um, and so the programs that really helped me, they don't exist to that at that level. Um, and so I'm I'm very thankful, you know, that I was a veteran, and and because a lot of folks who aren't veterans aren't able to get the services, the more robust services they have that they have for veterans, yeah. um, and so that is really what formed my passion around behavioral health, homelessness, housing, uh, criminal justice reform, um, and also knowing at a deep level what it is like to be othered, to not mm-hmm. belong, you know. Um, I hated going to high school, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many teachers that saved my life that let me mm-hmm. have lunch with them, you know. And so, um, so yeah, my work... I, and my passion really is that how can we build a society where, where, where people belong and everyone, you know, have opportunities mm-hmm. to achieve their full potential?
2: What was your decision process like? How did you decide, I'm going to go for this open Senate seat. I'm going to jump in and try.
0: Well, you know, I had to be honest with you, Evelyn. <laughs> I had no desire. I was like, I'm not the, the, the politician type. I, you know, that's not for me. I have too much of a hot cold personality. I'm 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 actually an introvert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I you know, I've become more extroverted because of my work. Um, I'm not good at hobnobbing and those types of things. Um, but there was uh, two community leaders that called me. Um and um And, and, you know, to be really honest, uh, Senator Jeannie Darneal called me up and she says, you know, I really admire your work. And I just was shocked. And she said, are you sitting down? (laughs) And she shared with me why she thought I should do this. Um, And I was just overwhelmed. It brought tears to my eyes, you know, and I I love Senator Darneal, you know, she was instrumental in a lot of um, the work that happened in Pierce County to address youth homelessness. You know, mm-hmm. her and Lyle Pazim chaired the Blue Ribbon Committee for that work. And um, and then she had me uh, talk to Lyle and then Lyle Pazim just shared some really beautiful things and really encouraged me. And he says, you know, pray about it, think about it. And so I talked to some uh, close friends of mine and I said, you know, this is an opportunity to really work upstream. Mm-hmm. And Evelyn, I really felt... My ancestors and loved ones who passed on, I thought of my great-grandmother, and, um, and she used to share with us all the time how when she was picking beans and picking cotton and other things, and she would say, you know, the rain would wet me and the sun would dry me, and I would pray out to the Lord, Lord, please don't let my children, nor my children's children have to go through this, you know, and so I felt that in my heart. You know, for my mom, for my dad, for my ancestors and for all the people in our community, you know, people experiencing homelessness, people who are stigmatized that that this would be a symbol and a hope and to have representation in that way. So, you
2: know, I from what I see, I mean, almost regardless of the outcome of this, you are such a shining symbol of all of their hopes and dreams I mean that's that's an incredible blessing to have it a burden is. maybe maybe <laughs> a burden too but
0: yeah no thank you everyone for saying that and you know it's but by the grace of God right you know statistically I should be in prison or dead you know and so it's but by the grace of God and so I'm, I'm just really thankful. And it's just so humbling. I mean, the PCOs have been so kind and um, I've learned so much in this process and it, it just makes me feel even closer to, to our community, you know? Yes,
2: yes. Yeah. So you sort of have touched on this, but what would, you know, when you go into the legislature, they put you on a committee, they try to match your interests with the committee. Um, and you kind of get, you know, it's like before you even know how things work, you're sort of on a path already. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, with that in mind, what are the sorts of areas that you are are really determined to focus on? Things that, you know, you may focus on a lot of things, but what are sort of the core things that are really your passion?
0: Yeah, I would say that a lot of the things that Senator Dornio was involved in, um, I definitely, homelessness and housing, most mm-hmm. definitely. You know, um, I think the work that I've done at the federal and, and, and state and local level, um, you know, would would fit well with that. Um, behavioral health. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was a clinical social worker. Um, working in the emergency department, working with a lot of poor folks and people that have fallen through the cracks and especially older adults that are having having some cognitive impairments and don't have family or kids, you know, and living in social isolation. And um, it's just really, you know, our system needs to be strengthened um, for our older adults too um, that need geriatric and other supports. And also... Uh, areas around uh, criminal justice reform. Um, I've done a lot of work both with Tacoma Police Department when I was working in the Office of Equity and and Human Rights and actually, you know, architected Project Peace um, Mm -hmm. that really um, is still ongoing and Mm -hmm. is a part of the Heal Heal the Heart of Tacoma initiative. Um, And I also did work with the Seattle Police Department because they were under a consent decree by the Mm -hmm. federal government for some, um, you know, citations around aggressive use of force and the such. Um, And so I helped the Seattle Police Department in work in partnership with communities most impacted and redesigning and bringing back the community safety officer program, which are um, people from within those communities that look like them, um, that are serving a safety officer function, but they don't carry guns. Um, and so that's a really exciting piece that they've brought back. So those are some of the areas that I'm really passionate about. Um, and I also think the ways and means is another critical mm-hmm. one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the money and the resources, the money. and so yeah, and so yeah. that we are, are are spending our money effectively on things that are that are really um, that are really going to help to improve the life of all Washingtonians.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this, and I hadn't really planned to ask this, but <clears throat> since you mentioned the policing issues, um, one of the things I've also been doing today, working with Doug, is we've been doing a recording, reading through the... Um, The probable cause um, charging papers on Sheriff Troyer from the AG's office, and also reading through the investigative report on Sheriff Troyer's behavior.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. I do you do you see some seeds of of um, progress or something that we can build on in a positive way in Tacoma with our policing? I, I feel like our relations are so poor right now between the police and the citizens.
0: I agree, Evelyn. It is really, really poor. Um, and it's such a complicated issue, too, because community safety is very, very important mm. for, for for all people, yeah. you know. And, um, but I think that we really need to look at policing in a more refreshed way. Um, I think that the way that, pol- well, First, we have to acknowledge that policing in America started with the capture of fugitive slaves, right? Runaway slaves. Um, And so there's been that long history of of, of abuse there. But I do believe that we can reimagine policing in a way where we go back to this way where the, the police officers are people who come from that community. You know, it's a whole different thing when the the police officers, the community safety officers are members of your community. They're they're neighbors. Your children go to the same school. Right now, a lot of the police officers that are policing communities aren't a part of those communities. And so there's a real disconnect that kind of exacerbates implicit bias, right? Right. So then the Mm -hmm. police is more of an occupying force instead of a part of that community. Um, I think that's something that can go a long ways, you know, and right now there's a lot of barriers uh, to becoming for, for for people of color and other racially marginalized and historically disenfranchised populations to become um, law enforcement officers, you know, Mm -hmm. there's like credit scores and, Right, numerous barriers right. like that, and so
2: yeah, there's a whole cycle of yes. you know, if you don't meet this criteria, you can't get in. But the reason yes. you don't meet this criteria is partly because you know you're treated differentially. I mean, right, and I said for years. I mean, I have only been pulled over by the police in Tacoma once for making a U-turn. Right, I mean, have they would not? They do. They are not interested in me. They are not going to pull me over if I have my if my you know tail light is out. It doesn't matter. And so I'm never going to have, you know, the opportunity to right. develop, you know, much of a profile of negativity, but right. someone else who looks different is going to have an entirely different experience, even exactly. though we may otherwise be, this, be equally the same. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So I think we need to recruit officers that look like um, the communities that they serve mm-hmm. and also... I think we need to reimagine policing um, to something that is also, um, that is more humane, more more balanced, Mm -hmm. um, and that has a different type of culture. You Mm -hmm. know, I think, um, and not all law enforcement officers, of course, but there is, a kind of um, culture or resonance that you see that's predominant, um, that's not always the best mindset. I I truly believe, imagine a world where we had all women that were police officers or all social workers that were police officers, right? Um, And so, so that kind of culture piece, yeah. But then at the same time, while we're reimagining law enforcement, we also need to ensure community safety because it's a transition, right? There's a lot of internalized oppression that needs to be healed. And so sometimes in communities that have had a foot of oppression on them for a long time, that internalized oppression can turn into community violence and all of these other things. And Mm -hmm. so we need to also work with communities in a way to facilitate healing all around. But I Mm -hmm. really believe that communities most impacted, they know what they need. Like uh, Ron Chisholm with the People's Institute, he's the founder of the People's Institute. And he has this quote that he always says during the training and he says, you know, poor people, poor black people, poor brown people, they don't need programming, they need their power back. You know, Mm -hmm. how can we be liberated gatekeepers in our role and help restore power back to communities instead of, you know, paternalistic, saviorism type approaches. Yeah.
2: Well, you've mentioned uh, conversations with uh, with Jeannie Darneal and with Lyle Quasim. So you've obviously had, um, you know, engagements with the legislative process and you understand, you know, sort of the give and take of how it works. But are there any, is there anything that worries you about going into the Senate environment? And I, my background to this question is that, I never really had had much to do with the legislature until I became the director of the Public Disclosure Commission. And then I had to go and meet with legislators to try to get bills passed. and It was really unpleasant uh, overall. Mm -hmm. Um, And partly because it made me realize for the first time that there were just there were other games in play, Um, sometimes petty games of, you know, jealousy. And I'm not going to agree to that if my rival is getting credit for it, Mm -hmm. which I found very disappointing. do you have any qualms or, or sort of, you know, things that you're sort of trying to figure out as you look at moving into this very political and partisan environment?
0: Yes, I, I think in one aspect, being a fresh new face can play in my favor because I'll be developing those new relationships. <laughs> so I can mm-hmm. kind of play, oh, I'm the new card or, you know, kind of be strategic in that way. Um, something that Lau said to me that was really impactful He said, and also Ken Miller said this, Janet Thiessen's husband, one of the PCOs. They -hmm. both said, you know, politics is a blood sport. Mm -hmm. You know, and at the end of the day, Lyle said, you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror and recognize yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to have integrity. I think it's important to have values. I think it's important to represent the will of the people. And to be transparent, but also to be a bridge builder and to also be willing to negotiate, but without compromising to such a degree that, um, you know, you're compromising your values and all of those types of things and betraying the people. Um, but I, I, I really bring a lot of strengths and negotiation um, and working with people. You know, when I was in the military uh, and Naval Intelligence actually won an award, uh, the Martin J. Kellogg Department of Defense Award for promoting cross-cultural understanding with uh, Chinese and Russian soldiers. So I think if I can kind of warm the hearts of our enemies, (laughs) maybe uh, some Republicans or other uh, difficult actors you know, and I think my social work background as a clinical social worker helps with that mm-hmm. as well. Um, I'm, I'm a very empathic person, very intuitive, a good listener, but also mm-hmm. very strategic and, and really a laser focus. Okay, how can we find the win-win? And if we can't mm-hmm. find the win-win, how do we rally our coalition, our supporters, and our voters to to really bring the heat, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on areas where we mustn't waver, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. That's, that's an excellent, excellent answer. Uh, let's take a short break here okay. and then we come, come back. I want to ask you something about, you know, what are some issues particularly facing Tacoma?
0: Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Evelyn.
1: Hello, this is Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma, and a proud Alaska Airlines frequent flyer. Everything in our day-to-day life seems to involve more hassle these days. So it feels good that Alaska Airlines is making something easier. Alaska has made air travel virtually touch-free. Here's the rundown. When you check your bags at the airport, you won't have to touch the kiosk to print your bag tags. They'll print when you scan your boarding passes, or you can even print them from home. When you board your flight, they can scan your boarding pass from as much as six feet away. Now, the lawyers want me to say that this might not work if the lighting in the terminal is low or if the print quality of your boarding passes isn't great. But still, kudos to Alaska for trying to keep physical distancing at every point of the trip. And don't forget, you can pre-order your meal from your phone or from your computer, you can even put your card on file in case you decide mid-flight to splurge on a local wine or beer. Get your drink without pulling out your card. Now, that's the perfect blend of convenience, safety, and temptation those are the thoughtful details that make me choose alaska airlines every time i fly domestically when you're ready to travel rest easy because alaska's got this skip the travel sites and visit alaskaair.com to book your next flight thank you alaska airlines for making travel smoother and thank you for your support channel 253
2: hi we're back before we get back into our discussion with lamont green I want to urge you, if you are not yet a member of Channel Two Five Three, please consider joining us. It's four dollars a month or forty dollars a year. It helps support these podcasts. And let me tell you, I know I've said it before, but these conversations I think are crucial in our day and age. We try to talk to people who are doing real things in our city. Um, it allows people to tell their stories in their own words without a filter. And um, let's. People have enough time to give you an in-depth answer. And I think that's worth a lot, especially um, in the world we're living in right now. So please join us as a member. So, Lamont, tell me, with a Tacoma focus, mm-hmm. and some of these we've talked about, But what do you see as kind of the big ticket items that Tacoma just needs to focus attention on over mm-hmm. the next couple of years? Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, um, I would say homelessness and housing, mm-hmm. behavioral health, um building and strengthening relationships around community safety and reimagining law enforcement.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And of course, our our response to COVID once right. things begin to subside, um being prepared for that. And I think all of those other issues may become exacerbated with mm-hmm. increases in homelessness and housing, increases in behavioral health needs. And um, with that, I'll sometimes also come, you know, it, we've, which we've been seeing, right? Um, community safety issues.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, uh, our, yeah, Frankly, I mean, those are issues that you've already spent a significant portion of your career directly dealing with that are, um, or do you have some ideas of things that maybe will help um, change or shape the direction that that these problems might take over the next few years? What would you like
0: to do? I think that we have a huge opportunity right now with the influx of American Rescue Plan Act dollars Mm -hmm. um, that's flooding into our system to really end unsheltered homelessness. We know Mm -hmm. that affordable housing, there's lots of affordable housing being built and online, but that takes a minute, you know? But we can be innovative. Um, I believe one of those ways is with non-congregate shelters. And congregate shelters are kind of this stereotypical type of shelter where you have a mat or a cot, and it's a big open room and people are all together. The Mm -hmm. non-congregate shelters, are where people have their own room, Mm -hmm. right? And so those could be stood up very quickly. You can even use schools that are decommissioned or abandoned buildings to rehab very quickly and create these non-congregate shelters. Now the problem, and not to to have a harsh criticism of our Pierce County Human Services, right? Um, Because the people there are really doing amazing work. But when we look at our emergency shelter utilization rate, when we look at the data, Mm -hmm. and I recently looked at the data, we're at about a 65% utilization rate of our emergency shelter stock. That means that there's- Right. And so that means that there's 35%, that there's vacancy,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. but then we must go ahead.
2: Is that because of COVID or is that just because of um, other barriers?
0: Well, people don't wanna go to congregate shelters.
2: Yes, cool. um, and right. I can certainly understand why. Right. Yes. right.
0: Yeah, because they because they can't bring their partners, they can't bring their mm-hmm. pets, and they can't bring their possessions. And you've yeah. I mean, you I'll tell time. you. Yeah.
2: If I had to abandon a pet, it exactly. would not happen. Yeah. It would not happen.
0: Exactly. And then some of the shelters, you know, they're male and female, so right. you would have to abandon your partner, and that's not even discussing if you're trans or gender non-binary. Right. You know, and we have a, a high population of LGBTQ folks. Uh, especially young adults experiencing homelessness. And so so people would rather stay in tents where they could be together in communities that they have created, where they can come and go as they wish. Now, enhanced shelters are different because these are non-congregate shelters. You can bring your partner pets and possessions. And it's not as restrictive with the time and all of those other things, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to be realistic as well that an abstinence approach to some of the people that are using substances um, isn't a good approach either. It's very unrealistic. We have to take a harm reduction approach. And so in that orientation, we're thinking about how can we better support drug users, right? Now Mm -hmm. that seems Mm -hmm. blasphemous. We're not gonna support people with taxpayer dollars to use drugs, but really it's much cheaper in the long run, right? You have less overdoses, um, people are more safe and you surround them with opportunities to engage in treatment and rehabilitation when they're ready. So you're creating that real supportive um, environment. Um, So when we look at some of the investments that we're making we shouldn't be making investments in congregate shelter. Another thing that's really interesting, and sorry if I'm getting too much in the weeds. um,
2: No, it's it's very interesting.
0: But with the HUD dollars that we receive, rapid rehousing can be for up to two years. So rapid rehousing is an intervention where you can put someone in a market rate unit, and you can put them in there for up to two years and pay all of their rent, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We could even do this for chronically homeless population, right? But a lot of times. We don't see that as a proper intervention for unhoused folks. But we could, we could today find a unit, put them in the unit and pay for their rent up to two years. Some of those folks, that stability will allow them time to get their social security entitlements or to get on a wait list for permanent supportive housing or a voucher. And we could still do the, the wraparound supports and services. Now, some may say, well, a lot of those folks don't have the credit, or they may have been evicted several times, or they may have rent arrearage. So that's gonna be a barrier there. Well, we could fix that too. We just Mm -hmm. do a master leasing program where the nonprofit is the leaseholder. And so it's all of those types of strategies, Evelyn, um, that we can utilize. And um, although we have very low vacancy rates, we do have market rate units available. So we have to have a multi-pronged strategy, right? We're developing tiny homes. We're developing non-congregate shelters. We're developing sanctioned encampments that are designed by people living homeless. We're building affordable housing, but the main goal is to get people into safe shelter while we build more housing and try to exploit as much of the um, housing that is available in the uh, open market.
2: Yeah, Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you 100% on all of that. Well, let me ask you, Lamont, so let's project in the future. Let's say you are appointed, you are headed to the Senate. What happens now? Do you stay in your job too? Because the Senate gig is, uh, it's billed as a part-time job. We know it's more than that. But, you know, is it enough to pay all the bills? I mean, would you keep your job? Yeah.
0: You know, and so this is what I would do. And I hopefully my employer, they won't hear this. <laughs> <laughs> they might pray against me getting uh, <laughs> a position. But um, I would most likely quit my job at TAC. And I would um, uh, seek funding to do the work that I'm doing with the, I'm a co-founder of the Washington State Lived Experience Coalition. Mm -hmm. which is a coalition that was formed by people who are currently experiencing homelessness or who have experienced homelessness. Um, And I know that they would like me to be the executive director of that statewide coalition. I've been working mainly in a largely volunteer capacity. So Mm -hmm. I think those two would connect nicely, right? Because we'd be able to lift up the issues of people on the streets and be able to influence and develop legislation that works. Um, and so I would definitely make some changes because I would need to invest the time and the energy. Um, and, and so, yes, I'm prepared to make some shifts.
2: Um, do you, do you feel that you are supported enough uh, either, you know, family, friends, the community, do you, do you feel that people are coming together to support you?
0: I do. I do. I went to a fundraiser last night um, fighting for the majority Mm -hmm. And I was invited by a PCO, so I've been making a lot of PCO friends, and they've been really delightful. And so I got invited to this uh, fundraiser in Seattle, Fighting for the Majority, and the Speaker of the House was there, Lori Jenkins, Representative Jake Fye was there, and uh, Senator Saldana, and a lot of the senators that are women Mm -hmm. of color, I believe they were all there. And they were just so loving and so supportive and giving me tips and strategies and Um, Senator Jeannie D'Arneal has promised to mentor me and Lyle and um, so many of the PCOs. And so I do feel like there would be a lot of community support and and mentoring.
2: Good, good. Yeah. Are you ready? Are you starting to wrap your head around the idea of a campaign next year? (laughs) I know.
1: (laughs)
0: It, yes, it would have to definitely be launching into campaign mode. Um, yeah, I've been um, talking with a few folks um, and getting some ideas from campaign managers and talking to different people there um, and really uh, have uh, have a kitchen cabinet of some delightful folks. Um, and so, yes, I've Good. been preparing. <laughs> oh,
2: excellent. It's a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's like you're mm-hmm. jumping into a fire a lot yeah but it's uh it's good so we know that the county council is going to meet next tuesday november 2nd right and i don't know if they'll make a decision right away or if they'll mull it over i don't know what the plan is but what's your takeaway from this whole thing so you've been going in it's been pretty fast so about a month of whirlwind activity Mm -hmm. looking back what's your takeaway from all of this
0: yeah, well, that's a, another great Evelyn, you have amazing questions. Um, what is my what are some of my main takeaways? Well, I, I feel like I have a sense of the issues that are really, really important, at least to the, the PCOs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so the environment, the, the environment is hugely important, and especially LMG is a hot topic issue. Um childcare, um, supporting our older adults. Uh, criminal justice reform, Um, also labor and workers' rights, and also um, expanding uh, unionization. Um, And, of course, community safety and and, and homelessness and housing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so having a good sense of that. Another um, key takeaway is how close our community is and really how progressive. I didn't have a sense of how you know, I know I live in a wonderful area. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is again from the PCO lens, right? <laughs> um, but we, we're in a very awesome legislative district. yeah. And so I feel so fortunate and blessed, you know, as a gay Black man, to be so welcomed and uplifted. Um, it's almost like this process has been a healing and an intervention for me. Mm -hmm. it's been a kind of interesting type of therapy right because you're putting yourself out there and I know when they shared that quote in Tacoma News Tribune about me being a formerly homeless crack addict and I was like oh my god it's in the paper you know I know I share but I didn't expect that to be in the paper and so I just had like this like oh no I'm being outed all over again (laughs) and then to receive all the love, right? And there are some of my family members who didn't know that particular part of my story, the missing years of Lamont. (laughs) And and somehow it ended up on their newsfeed, like in South Carolina, in Texas, in New York. Wow. (laughs) And so I had on Sunday an onrush of family members, like, why didn't you tell us? I I I told my (laughs) sister, you know. My mom and dad are are both passed away. So I told my sister, we're pretty close, but they were like, and I didn't know that part. And that makes sense now, the missing (laughs) years of Lamont. But the love, you know, that that my family showed me um, made me feel a deeper sense of that I'm okay and I'm enough, you know, that I'm worthy of love.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty good takeaway, actually. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Lamont? Anything that we haven't talked about that you were hoping we'd get a chance to, to touch on?
0: I think this one is a really kind of hot topic or yeah. it's a touchy topic because yeah. I don't want to seem like I'm playing a race card or anything. No, dude. And, and dude, I think that... Bring it up. I think Yasmin, Yasmin is phenomenal. Desiree, mm-hmm. Phenomenal and all of the other candidates. I mean, I never really thought I would make it this far. Mm -hmm. But I do think we have an unusual opportunity when we look at the composition of the Senate, who's missing at the table? Mm -hmm. You know? And we don't have any Black men in the Senate. Mm -hmm. And um, when we look at the issues that you know, black and brown folks face in Washington. And um, whether it's homelessness, you know, in uh, Pierce County, 65% of students that are experiencing homelessness are students of color. And the majority Mm -hmm. of those are black indigenous and um, native Hawaiian Pacific Islander. And I know for me, when President Obama was president, you Mm -hmm. know, And Condoleezza Rice, when I was little, I wouldn't say this now because, you know, some of Condoleezza's stance and she's a Republican, but I admired Condoleezza Rice, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, she stirred my interest in studying foreign language and Russian. And so representation Mm -hmm. does matter, you know, Mm -hmm. having all those diverse voices. And so we have some missing identities. I don't think we've ever had a gay black man in the Senator, House of Representatives, oh. but I think it's been 30 years. I think Bill Smitherman was the last uh, 30 years ago. Yeah. So I'm not trying to pay the politics of identity there, but, I, and, and again, I, I think Yasmin and Desiree are so awesome, but I think yeah. that we do have in this opportunity a chance to think about, you know, we talk about using an equity lens, you know, if mm-hmm. we have all these phenomenal candidates, who's missing? Mm-hmm. That we can mm-hmm. create a more diverse ecosystem in the Senate.
2: You know, I think it's always, mm-hmm. I think it's always good to look at this because I mean, I'll say from my perspective, two things. One, yes, ideally, our 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 governing system is supposed to look like the people who are governed. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, here's the thing. People who have lived through experiences, extreme experiences, um, maybe wonderful experiences, but certainly traumatic experiences. You're going to bring a perception and a thoughtfulness and a strategic approach to problems that someone who has only studied these things intellectually is simply not going to have. Mm -hmm. And that means we'll have better policies Mm -hmm. and better outcomes. And that means stronger state, stronger services for our citizens. We all, regardless of what color Mm -hmm. of skin, regardless of our economic background, we will all benefit when we have people who bring all of this additional knowledge into our governing process. So mm. it's it's a win. Mm. It's a win.
0: Thank you, Evelyn.
2: Absolutely. Mm. Okay, Lamont. Well, I'm going to be as interested as anyone <laughs> in what happens next Tuesday. I'm so glad you put your name in for this. I mean oh, I don't you. know what's going to happen because <laughs> you're right. All three of you are phenomenal <laughs> and amazing. Yeah. And uh and whoever gets it is going to set the Senate right on its ear. I fully expect.
0: I agree. Um, it's, it, it is we'll nice see. to be in such a this uh, win win for our community. You know,
2: it's it is good yeah. for the 27th. It's good for the state of Washington. Yep. Absolutely. And
0: huge thanks to Senator Darnell for really kind of um, tilling the soil for this type of outcome.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, she played this very strategically too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if she'd just decided not to run again. Uh, or throwing it into an election instead of an appointment process, we'd be seeing something much different.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. So,
2: and I hope more I hope more sitting senators and representatives are are thinking about that as they near the end of their careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you mm-hmm. so much. We will get this up uh, posted. Thank, thank you. you so much. Bye, bye, Doug. Bye.
1: Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.